So this morning, my desire is for us to come together and to celebrate what it is that God has been doing in our midst. And really what I want to do this morning is I kind of want to turn the tables on you. I know that I've said that this morning is us celebrating about what God has done in our lives, but really what I want to do this morning is us to celebrate our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I want us to spend our time focusing our attention on Him this morning because I am convinced that He is worthy to be praised. He is worthy to be lifted up. After all, isn't that what our lives is all about as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ is lifting Him up so that He can be honored and praised in our life, that He can receive all of the glory that is due Him? Isn't, shouldn't that be the desire of our heart in our life today? I hope it is. I hope we desire to see Jesus Christ lifted up, that we see him as the Lamb of God who was slain before the foundations of the world, and that he is worthy to be praised for who he truly is. Amen? That is the desire of my heart today. And so... I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles to one of the most challenging and most intriguing books in all of God's Word. Some of you may already have in your mind the book I'm going to ask you to turn to after using those two words. I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles to the book of Revelation this morning. The book of Revelation this morning. This is one of those challenging books, is it not? It is an intriguing book when we study it. And oftentimes I've left with far more questions than I am answers after I come to this book. But I am under the belief I'm like the old pastor. I'm not an amillennialist. I'm not a premillennialist. I'm a panmillennialist. I believe it's all going to pan out in the end. Amen? Don't you believe that as well? I'm not saying that we shouldn't uh, uh, study the book of Revelation and seek to understand end times, and I'm not at all trying to diminish that this morning. But anyone who tells you that they have all of the book of Revelation figured out, just get as far away as you can from them, all right? Because I can tell you this side of heaven, I don't think any of us is ever going to fully understand this great book. But I will tell you, in spite of the challenges in this book, it should be a book that we go to study. And part of the reason that is, I don't think there's any book that helps us to better understand the risen Jesus Christ, to see him for who he is truly, truly is, and to worship him for who he truly is. And so in the opening chapter of this book, John begins to paint a picture for us of who Jesus Christ is. And it is one of the most vivid pictures that we find anywhere in the Word of God. Now, if you know anything about this book, John the Apostle is the author of the book, and he tells us that he is writing from the island of Patmos. John had been exiled to that island by the Caesar of Rome, Domitian. He was a cruel Caesar, and he had put John on this island because John had been preaching the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And as a result of that, the Caesar of Roman banned him to the island of Patmos. And he tells us in the opening verse of chapter 1 that it was on the Lord's day that he received a revelation from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I think it's key for us to understand that John doesn't refer to it as revelations, 
but one single revelation is what John received from the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 4 of this passage of Scripture, he greets the seven churches of Asia Minor, that area of the world today that we know as Turkey. They were the original recipients of this book. And he greets them in the grace and the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to listen to the words of the Apostle John beginning in verse 7, and we're, I mean in verse 4, and we're going to read down through verse 7. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is, who was, and who is to come. I like what John said there in those opening words. Grace and peace to you. But did you hear how he clarified the word peace? Peace from who? Peace from Jesus Christ. Only true lasting peace in our lives comes from Jesus Christ. Isn't that true? Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't work toward peace in the world in which we live in, but at the end of the day, the only one who can give us true spiritual peace is Jesus Christ. Not coming to church, not having your name on a church roll, not getting dunked in some water. None of those things will give you spiritual peace in life. Only Jesus Christ Trusting Him as your Lord and Savior can give you genuine spiritual peace in life. If you don't know Jesus Christ, you're living at enmity with God. That's the clear teaching of God's Word. You're at odds with God. You can never be friends with God apart from Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, Scripture teaches us the only way to know the sovereign God of the universe is to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. There is no God outside the triune God. It doesn't matter what our world says. That is the clear teaching of God's Word. And if we want true peace in life, we must look to the cross. We must look to Jesus Christ, the risen Lord and Savior. Amen? That's the only way to receive true spiritual peace in life. Now listen to what he says here. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia Minor, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings on earth. And that's a power-packed verse of Scripture, isn't it? Right there, we have the Trinity that is presented to us, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, right here in one verse. But did you hear what John says about Jesus Christ? He says he is the firstborn among the dead. Now, I think it's so important for us to understand exactly what it is that John is saying about Jesus Christ so we have no misunderstanding of who this Jesus really is. The firstborn among the dead is not the order of rank in which Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. That is not what he is saying in this passage of Scripture. That is actually a title of honor and glory that has been given to Jesus Christ. 
It is a title that marks him as being preeminent above all those who would be raised from the dead. Isn't that the reason why we worship Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior? Because he is different. He is God in the human flesh. He is the lamb who was slain before the foundations of the world. He rose on the third day and he is worthy to be praised. Isn't that true? Isn't that the reason why we worship this one true living God that we know through Jesus Christ? He is the firstborn among the dead. He is preeminent. He is over everything by him, through him, and for him. All things have been created. That's the truth of Scripture, is it not? Yeah. Now, I want us to go back here to this passage of Scripture, and I want you to listen to what he's going to say here in the last part of verse 5. To him, that is a reference to Jesus Christ, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us a kingdom of priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion, forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who have pierced him, and all of the tribes of earth will wail on account of him. Ever so, amen. Let it be so is what John writes in this passage of Scripture. Did you hear how John described Jesus Christ at the end of verse 5? John makes four bold statements about who Jesus Christ is between verses 5 through verses 7 of this passage of Scripture. Did you hear what he said? First he said, to him who loves us. And then he goes on and he said, and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us a kingdom of priests to his God and Father. I mean, I think about those three statements that John makes here in this passage of Scripture. And when I think about it, I'm like, wow, you could preach a month of Sundays on those three statements, couldn't you? And he goes on and he even makes one more statement at the very end to him who shall return. Four bold statements that John makes about Jesus Christ. John first said, to him who loves us. To Jesus Christ. You know, the clear teaching of God's word is, Jesus Christ loves us. When I hear the words that John speaks about Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ loves us, it reminds me of that old children's song that I grew up singing. Many of you have probably sung it as well. It's the one about Jesus loves us. Why? For the Bible tells us so, right? Isn't that true? Over and over again as we read the Word of God, we learn that Jesus Christ is the one who loves us. Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. 
The problem is, is we've taken this word in our culture and we've emptied it of its true meaning. With the same words that we use to proclaim love for someone, we use those same words to proclaim our love for Bluebell ice cream and Coca-Cola, don't we? Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not opposed to Bluebell ice cream and Coca-Cola. I like them both. But I want you to understand something. What we have done with that word is we've taken the word of love and we have diminished it. We have made it generic in the world in which we live in to the point where it can almost mean anything. Isn't that true? But in this passage of Scripture, John very clearly says, to him who loves us. That word love here is a form of the word agape in the Greek. It is the deepest and the richest form of love that can be expressed for someone else. It's the kind of love that God has for the world. It is a sacrificial and unconditional love. That's how God loves us. Perhaps nowhere is this love spoken of any clearer than in 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter. I want you to listen to what the Apostle Paul wrote about love. He said, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrong doing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. That is what he says. But when I look at the love of the world, it's very different than the kind of love we see presented in God's Word. If there is anything that is worth celebrating today, it is the fact that Jesus Christ loves us with an unconditional and sacrificial love. I don't know about you, but I am grateful that God loves me in that way. That my love is not based upon how well I did yesterday or this morning or the day before, but that God loves with an unconditional, sacrificial love. John said, to him who loves us. He goes on and says this about Jesus Christ and has freed us from our sins by his blood. What a powerful statement. You know, one of the most important words that we, one of the most important words in the world in which we live in is the word freedom. Throughout the history of mankind, people have been willing to sacrifice their lives in order for other people to experience freedom. But I would have you know something this morning. When John said to him who has freed us from our sins by his blood, he's not talking about being free from the oppression of man. He's talking about being free from the guilt of our sins. You see, apart from Jesus Christ, every single person stands guilty and condemned in the sight of God. That is scriptural. 
If you remember last Sunday morning, I preached the sermon about being under the wrath of God. We looked at Romans, the first chapter in verses 18 through 23, where it talks about God's wrath is being poured out on all those who are unrighteous in the world in which we live in. It doesn't matter how morally good a person may be by the standards of the world. Apart from faith in Jesus Christ, they stand condemned in God's sight. The problem is, is our faulty understanding of mankind. In the very innermost parts of our spiritual being, we are depraved. We are utterly helpless to change our spiritual condition. If somehow or another we could change our spiritual condition, we would not need a Savior in Jesus Christ. Do you see what I'm saying? If it was just a matter of us pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps, why in the world would a sovereign God sacrifice His Son at the cross if we could somehow fix our spiritual problem? Do you see what I'm saying? Because we can't. We are utterly helpless to change our spiritual condition. It's like what one man said, you can take a pig and you can dress him up in a dress and you can put a pearl necklace on him, but at the end of the day, you know what he is? He's still a pig. Isn't that true? We can try to dress ourselves up in any manner we choose to dress ourselves up. We can try to spiritually clean ourselves up. We can go to church. We can try to change our bad habits, but at the end of the day, we're still a sinner in need of a Savior. It doesn't change. It does not change. Salvation is only found in Jesus Christ. Only He can make, only He can change us into the person that we need to be. Only He can take an impure heart and clean it and make it new. In this passage of Scripture, John said, To Him who freed us from our sins. We have been set free. When the blood of Jesus Christ was applied to our lives, we were declared innocent in the sight of God. Not based on who we are, but based upon who Jesus Christ is in us. Now, I'll tell you something. That is something worth celebrating today. It's worth celebrating. Now go back to this passage and look at what else he says here. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom of priests. In other words, that means God has fashioned us for his service. To be a kingdom of priests is one of the greatest spiritual doctrines that we hold to as evangelical Christians. We refer to it as the priesthood of the believers. That means there is no one person that is more spiritually elevated over another person. Because of who we are in Jesus Christ, we all have access to the Heavenly Father. Isn't that true? 
That is what Paul said in Romans, the fifth chapter. Because we have received Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, one of the byproducts of that salvation is we now have access to the Heavenly Father. We can go to Him with our hurts, our pains, our cares. We can make known to Him the needs of our life, and God will always respond in His perfect way, in His perfect timing. That is what Scripture says. You are a priest, and I am a priest. Now, what does it mean to be a priest? Well, I think in order for us to understand what it means to be a priest, we must go back to the Old Testament. Under the religion of Judaism, there were two different offices that were given. One was the office of prophet. The office of prophet represented God to the people. Thus saith the Lord. The other office was the office of priest. Now the difference was this. The priest represented the people to God. Do you see the difference? The prophet represented God to the people. The priest represented people to God. When the priest entered into the temple and he made sacrifice, he offered sacrifice not just on behalf of himself, but on behalf of all of the children of Israel. He served God's people. That was the role of the priest. On Wednesday night in our Bible study, Names of God, I shared with the group that was gathered there, when I first went into the ministry, I thought it was my responsibility to motivate people to serve the Lord. I would plead with them and I would beg with them to get deeper in their relationship with the Lord. I would encourage them, I would exhort them to try to serve the Lord. And I'm not saying we shouldn't encourage people to serve the Lord. But do you realize in Scripture, nowhere does Jesus Christ ever beg, plead anyone to follow Him or to serve Him. Do you know that? It's not scriptural. Listen, folks. If the sacrifice of Jesus Christ doesn't motivate you to serve, there are no amount of words I can speak on Sunday morning to encourage you, to exhort you, to plead with you to serve if the sacrifice of Jesus Christ won't do it in your life. We should serve simply because Jesus Christ sacrificed His life on our behalf. One of the great stories in the Bible is that story we looked at on Wednesday night. It's the story of the rich young ruler. Do you remember that? I almost want to jump into the Bible and say, Jesus, go after that man. But you know what happened? Jesus let him walk away. He invited him to come and follow. He encouraged him to follow him. But you know what we would do today? We would grab that man by the shirt collar. We would plead with him. We would beg with him. Oh, please. And I'm telling you, that is not what Jesus Christ did. Jesus Christ was not a motivational speaker. He taught the truth of God's Word to people. And He allowed the Spirit of God to draw them and convict them. If the Spirit of God does not draw and convict you, it doesn't matter what I say on Sunday morning. 
That's the truth of God's Word. Number four, the fourth bold statement that John makes in this passage of Scripture, John says, to him who will return. Listen to what John says here in verse 7. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. The clear teaching of God's word is one day the trumpet will sound, and with a loud command, Jesus Christ is going to descend from heaven. And the first of those who will be raised from the dead, I'm sorry, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then those who are alive in Christ will be changed in the twinkling of a eye, and they will be caught up in to heaven. Now I'm going to tell you something. That will be a glorious day. At that moment in time, each one of us who are still here on this earth will receive a resurrected body. This old body will be changed forever. And in Revelation, the 21st chapter, it says, and Jesus will wipe away every tear. Can you imagine that day for a moment? What it's going to be like when we behold our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ face to face? I'm going to tell you on that day, it will be a day of celebration. We will celebrate the resurrected Lord and Savior Jesus Christ because He is the Lamb of God who was slain before the foundations of the world. But can I say something else to you this morning? I want you to hear me carefully today. Not everyone will be celebrating on that day. Did you hear what John said in this passage of Scripture? Listen to what he says. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. That word wail here means to mourn. I don't, ever, I don't know if you've ever heard of loud wailing at the death of someone. That is the way they mourn someone in Zambia when they die. You can hear it all over the compound when someone dies. They are wailing out loud, mourning the death of their loved one. I will tell you on this day, for some, it will be a sad day. There will be no celebrating for those who are left behind. There will only be broken heartedness. For they will realize who it is and what it is they missed in this life. For those of us who know Jesus Christ, though, it will be a great day of celebration. A day where we can fall before our Lord and Savior 
and celebrate Him for who He truly is. Celebrating Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we thank You for Your love and the way You have spoken to our hearts today through Your Word. And Lord God, I pray during this time of invitation that You would have Your way in our hearts and our lives. There's someone here, Lord, that doesn't know You as their personal Lord and Savior. I pray today would be the day that you draw them unto a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Lord God, I pray that today would be the day that each one of us would examine our hearts and lives to see where it is that we need to get our lives right with you. That we might offer ourselves in full service to you. Father, if there's someone here today who needs to become a part of this body of believers... Lord, I pray that you would stir them to become a part here. Lord, we love you and we praise you. We thank you for this day and the opportunity we've had to celebrate who you are. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.